Alexa, tell me about battles with bits of rubber. Hmm, I don't know that one. So this is an unusual one. Yeah. Yeah, this is an unusual one, in that we're actually face-to-face once. It has been a while. It's been since Monster Palooza. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. April? April last year. Yeah. So, over a year. When I moved. I moved house that month. So, yeah. Oh, goodness. And before that, it was six years. Yes. That I was here. 2013 was the last time you were here. Yeah. Which is Colorado, in case anyone didn't realize. You'll hear crickets in the background. and Maybe a few hawks were sitting out by my koi pond, so you you hear water. It's a little fountain in the pond. And there were hawks. We were a family of hawks uh, flying around, which was fascinating, actually. With a massive wingspan. But it's twilight, and they may be getting ready to bed down. But it's a beautiful evening. It's probably... 70. Feels great. Got a nice temperature. It's been a a fun couple of days. It has. It's gone really, really fast. Yeah. Well, we still got all of tomorrow. It's uh, Thursday today. And then tomorrow's Friday. I fly back in the evening. Um, But we've been making ear molds. Yes. We built, did cores, and then we sculpted some some nice uh, pointy ear tips. Mm -hmm. And been putting the molds together and finishing touches on them in the morning. We shot some video as well, so we shot all that on video so we can use that for an article we're planning for Prosthetics Magazine. Yeah, so there will be a tutorial coming on that, and we've been using some really fun products. Uh, I've, I've become a real devotee of Smoothon's uh, Freeform Air Epoxy Dough, though there are several companies that make it. Um, but right? it, it's just well, ad, there's a company called AdTech that that makes it. I've used it. It's um, it's got a great reputation, but it's really stinky compared right. compared to the Freeform Air, which doesn't smell, which really, doesn't really. smell at all. It smells like a warm biscuit. <laughs> yeah, as, as Kellogg would say. Um, so I thought it'd be quite an interesting thing to chat about the mold making process with regards to the the two main kinds of resin because I do a lot of stuff or have done a lot of stuff in the past with polyester which makes very nice lightweight molds very nice and thin but they typically are just stinky it's a stinky material yeah you really need ventilation and a respirator you certainly couldn't do it in the house no no and I know that there are certain you know you still get fumes with epoxy but the, the fact is if you wear a mask and you have good ventilation your neighbors don't know that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you do the smallest polyester mold, you could take care of yourself perfectly well and extract and everything so your house is fine. But everybody your neighbors will know what you're doing. Yeah, it stinks and it's just horrible. And it, it's one of those persistent smells. Like if you have worked in a workshop and you know, you've got your backpack in the corner of your coat or whatever, that will stink for days afterwards. Even though it was nowhere near it, it just kind of absorbs the smell yep. and just smells like you're cooking crystal meth or something. So and it's not good. it can't be good for you. No. No, the fumes are heavy, but they, they really, really smell terrible. So it's been quite nice to make the molds. So I just thought we'd have a quick chat about like, were you, what you wanted these molds to be? Because it's a system, I guess, that you used a lot. And we were chatting about how, like, 
we seem to have in the UK a lot more polyester molds per se. And I keep hearing from people saying that in the States you get a lot less polyester mold. Also, a lot of people don't even realise you can use fiberglass for molding. They doubt yeah. that it can pick up the detail because yeah. I think other things have been used instead. So it's kind of looked down upon. Um, but well, you I can do some uh, nice molds another, it, but still rather... UK polyester resins have a reputation for being better than the polyester resins that are available in the States. Mm. Just because uh, I, I don't know why. I have a uh, feeling it's to do with the amount of boats, because you know the UK being a, you know a small island nation. Yeah, I think there's a lot of marine um, work. You know, a lot of boat repairs, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of fishing, like kind of, or there has been historically. So I think you know since fiberglass has been used mm-hmm. I mean obviously people weren't building it out of fiberglass 500 years ago but I mean you know it's a, it's a fairly recent thing but because there's so much boating and you know boats to repair and stuff I think maybe that's that's one of the reasons why there's been a lot of polyester or, or, or reasons to have good polyester because there was a demand for right. it in the industry well, it certainly makes sense I remember as a kid watching watching guys in surf shops laying up polyester resin and fiberglass cloth to make surfboards. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And they what they sand it smooth. So they and sand it sand it smooth. So they'd they'd get the the foam shaped nicely and then they'd do several layers of, of polyester and the fiberglass cloth to give it the strength. Yeah. And and lightweight. Yeah. Well I've got some interesting video that I shot a while back making a, a head out of a, a epoxy because I've started to really enjoy that polyester um, the epoxy um, uh, gel coat that smooth on make oh so, yeah it's it's lovely it it stays right where you put it yeah it's cre- it's like a creamy but not thick kind of and it, but it's a gray nice and light, light and it goes gray. off pretty quickly it yeah. doesn't it doesn't have any smell noticeably either I mean if you put your face right down in it yeah it's got got an odor but it's it's not overpowering like polyester. Yeah, yeah, which is really hummy. But what you do have here in the, in the States is a lot more... I mean, maybe not so much now because I guess more people use epoxy, but you have a lot of a lot of good gypsum deposits yeah. within, you know, the, the geology of the country. So you end up with a lot more stuff like the UltraCal 30. Yeah, and I love, stuff, really love good working with UltraCal. It, it's still, I think, pretty much a go-to stone for, for doing molds. I mean, people use it a lot for foam latex just because on one hand it's porous so it'll absorb the the moisture from the from the latex easily it's great for doing um, slip latex masks because it's porous it absorbs what i've been doing for for mask making is i'll do maybe a a half inch three quarters of an inch of stone for my detail layer maybe half inch three quarters is start to get weight uh, and then once it goes off I will back it with the freeform air another half inch of that and it, will bond it, it bonds really well to the ultra cal mm-hmm. and then you've so if you've got a full head mold for doing a mask you can you can handle this mold easily because it doesn't have the weight of if you've got a two you know, inch thick, a two inch yeah, thick yeah, ultra cal mold yeah, yeah. which is you know a great workout but a little bit much on mm. the back and, and arms if you're trying to manhandle this thing by yourself. Mm. But the freeform air makes it a piece of cake. So the freeform air is basically like a well, we shot video of this, but I'll just briefly describe it. It basically comes in, in two tubs, so it's a two part material, just like a lot of the resins and silicons. 
that you just it's like fluff it's like mashed potato that's fluffy like play-doh yeah like play-doh yeah it's really nice and fluffy you can dig your hand right in there and then you just roll up a ball you're saying like a baseball size lump of a and the same of b and you just mix them together and then you end up with this kind of fluffy creamy i'd say paste but it's not sticky like paste is no you know you can take it out of your hand it doesn't stick to everything um you know and it's not stringy so you can put this on where you want it you know roll up like we were doing and it sticks to it sticks to everything yeah it sticks to everything you can smooth it out with um denatured alcohol Mm -hmm. which is a lot less expensive than 99 percent ipa you could use that you could use that for sure but but you know try not there's no no need to if you're if you're pinching pennies yeah denatured's uh, a lot less expensive yeah. And you can buy it in in gallons in the paint department at Home Depot and Lowe's and you know any of the big box hardware stores. Yeah, yeah. it's it's used a lot as a as a camp stove fuel. Yeah, as a clean burning fuel. I wonder if we have it at home. I have to see if we get it back home. I'd be surprised cool if you don't have something similar, yeah. if not the same thing. It might have a different name. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just thinking about the different kinds of molds because when you're making sort of big things like a body so you, you know you're molding a body you you tend to not want a big heavy block or something like quite quite flexible and, and, and lightweight so you can imagine something like that, like a thin fiberglass well i would call fiberglass we should probably look at the po- the terminology of that because fiberglass yeah. is obviously the matting material itself which you can use with epoxy right. and polyester but in england anyway when people say fiberglass they typically mean polyester mm-hmm. and fiberglass or grp glass reinforced plastic that's what molds. i that's what i think think of when i hear it mm-hmm. too but one, one, I think one of the benefits of using the fiberglass cloth or chopped chopped fibers with polyester resin is the resin actually dissolves yeah, it breaks the it glass. Down, it breaks it, yeah, it down yeah, yeah. so it becomes one and makes it much a much stronger material. Mm-hmm. The epoxy doesn't do that, but if you're using chopped glass, it still works really well. Yeah. Because... Uh, Basically, you just don't want your molds cracking when you're prying them open. Mm-hmm. And if you've given good thought to how you're making the mold to begin with, it's not going to break when you when you open it. Um, there's a method that I've been using since I learned it from Rob Freitas. Is, um, my negative sits a little bit lower than the positive, so there's a, a lip around the mold that I can put strips of 1x2 wood which is what I use, and and make a like a like a hashtag shape, mm-hmm. and then I I have a a little lip handle, and we can show photographs of this too. Um, I've got I've showed it in the book, and it's been in I think Prosthetics magazine. Um, but I'll use a C clamp then to on both ends of the mold and twist it at the same time, and it just lifts the positive out of the negative. There's no torque yeah, on it yeah, at yeah. all. So it nice. just it just makes everything. If, if there's suction, just let it get a little tight. Don't force it because eventually the suction will release on its own. Mm-hmm. But then everything just lifts right out of the mold. And if you've made it properly with no undercuts, you got it. It's it's a piece of cake. What's nice about doing it that way is it lifts the mold from 
the place it's supposed to come because if you try using a screwdriver for example because of the angle we'll have to do some cross-section drawings i think mm-hmm. to illustration to show what this looks but if you were to try and use a screwdriver to pry that it would probably just break your mold or your core yeah. well, because your force you're, is pushing because you're applying a lot of torque yes but it's one just angle. in one spot but if you're if you're lifting from both ends straight up yeah at the same time but it's also the wrong place to prize it because you need to be underneath I mean, on a flatter mold it would work yeah maybe but um yeah for something like that that works really well um so that was that, that's definitely something so you can get that kind of thing with more blocky molds it's kind of weird because I'm, I'm trying to think of something like small like if you had a nose and you were going to make say you had no money you were doing it just in plaster so you made your nose core you sculpted on it you made your mold in plaster you probably do what's known as a block mold what i call a block mold so you pour mm-hmm. it as a solid block of, of right. plaster maybe some scrim or burlap reinforcement in that and it's just basically a block and then when you when the mold's set up you could pop it open clean it out and put it back together you know the way you close the mold is to literally put the negative into the positive and it'd be filled with silicon or foam whatever you're going to mm-hmm. use to make your piece and then you either clamp it or put a strap on it or put weight on it and it's a very easy way of closing that mold if you were to make obviously a full body the same way it would be using a huge amount of material it would be unwieldy it'd be too heavy you and get the likelihood another. of breaking it is yeah and if you drop it it's going to smash or going up, kill yeah. someone <laughs> you know so it's, it's too heavy so you would end up making a big mold out of a thinner material and that thin material could be polyester resin if you want to use that or it could be epoxy uh, laminated with that or it could be a sort of a a material like freeform air where maybe the surface is done with a gel coat so it has a resin gel coat but then the thickness of it really is made up of something else which is rigid but um ooh, sorry, cool it's rigid but it's also uh thin and lightweight so yeah. it's still not massive you can yeah. still bolt it and but it keeps its shape what you do is you you basically you're building it up you're laminating it in layers you're starting out with a gel coat layer which is you know maybe a 16th to 8th of an inch thick you, you know, brush it on first that brush that on first to capture all the detail yeah. then a layer of, of laminating resin, resin whether it's polyester or epoxy with chopped glass or, or cloth in it maybe one or two layers of that and then you do a layer of the freeform air mm-hmm. the epoxy dough half an inch of that and then once that's set up one more layer of resin with chopped glass and then a thin detail coat on top of that because the, the glass can can be a little little needly and sharp mm-hmm. if it wasn't smoothed out really, really well. Yep. You can either sand it or I like to do a, a thin layer of the resin with um, urethyl, uh, urethyl 11 from Smooth On. It's, a, it's almost like flocking. It's mm-hmm. a, a urethane fine powder it's very similar i think to polyfibers yeah similar yeah, probably poly- probably the same stuff and you can thicken the resin so it brushes on and stays where you put it because if you just go straight with it mm-hmm. then you're you're constantly brushing it up until it goes off and if you've got other things to do you don't want to be spending all your time brushing up resin on the on the mold uh, until mm-hmm. it until it kicks where you add a little filler to it brush it on smooth it with some denatured alcohol boom mm-hmm. your mold's done all it's you gotta do is done. open it up and clean the clay out I've been doing something a little bit hybridy in a way with some of my jackets um, I should start by saying as well um, 
we haven't done a podcast for ages <laughs> and so we should apologize for that but the reason basically is because i've been on dracula for three months <laughs> and it's kicked my ass there's been really yeah, really long days there's stuff going on there's stuff going on and it's been um well frankly it's it's been impossible to do anything i've recorded quite a few and we've chatted about a lot and we've planned stuff but we haven't actually the, the, the trouble is it takes christ like two days to really properly do a, a podcast because we have to record it and then edit it and then there's the notes to write up and then there's photos to mm-hmm. add to the notes then sometimes we have to wait for clearance if we've got a guest because i like them to hear it before it goes out yeah. and if they sign off on that then we can upload it to the host and then it gets disseminated out from there and it takes a while it's a two-day process which is a full-time thing which, and then well, life you don't gets get paid for that yeah life gets in the way when you don't get paid for that it's one of those things where if i'm working i can't I can't not do the job I've got to do. I'm getting paid for to do this, so uh, so we I do apologize, apologize. But but here we are. We're back, and um, I I haven't not wanted to do podcasts the whole time. I've not been doing. It's not like I got bored of it and didn't want to do anyone. I fucking love doing this. Well, we talk about it all the time when yeah. we when we get the chance to talk. But you know, we've we both had so much going on lately that yeah, you know, shit happens. Yeah. So anyway, we're back um never really went away it was just quiet yeah on the on the podcast uh, i just i'm just so glad we're getting a chance to to hang face to face yeah man last night was fun yes we had a few drinks and uh watching tv i, I got you yeah. to watch dairy girls there, there quotations on either side of few yeah well i, I slept very well let's put it like that <laughs> yeah i got you into dairy girls hopefully because you like that, that oh was, that was yeah awesome i've got a new a new favorite show if, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's worth checking it out. <laughs> it's very funny, but uh, it's on Netflix over here. I think it's on Channel Four in England, but it seems to be Netflix uh, around the world. But um, but yeah, so uh, I was just saying with molds, I've done jacket molds, I've done in, in fiberglass. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting lazier in my old age. So what I've been doing is doing the gel coat to capture all the detail, you know, get a nice surface. And then before I laminate my glass, what I do is I mix up all the resin I'm going to laminate with. Um, which is usually a lot less catalyst because obviously you need it to, you know, not, not go off for an hour or two because right. it takes longer to laminate it. I pour some of that into a cup and I add either. I used to use, uh, I think it was Robin Schoonerad that started off with this, where I put talc in it. I got a big, like, 20 kilo bag of industrial talc, unscented talc. It's not particularly refined, but I put some scoops of that in and mix it in to turn it into a paste. Yeah. And I fill all the detail areas and around all the keys with that to basically make the surface a smoother surface yeah. to laminate so when i'm glassing um you know it's a smoother surface to glass you haven't got to go around each detail yeah it's as so as, as, as flexible as the, the cloth can be yes it's difficult it's still really tough to not get air pockets when you've got a 90 degree angle yeah. somewhere or yeah know, or deep area some, or some deep area and it's so i've been doing that but i also start using the mold the polyfibers instead so I mix polyfibers in with the resin, fit in things. So before it's set, I then go over the top with more, but the same mix of resin, but there's no yeah. filler in that, and then the laminating glass. And because I filled with those deep areas, oh, that looks it's great. very quick yeah. to do. It makes it a little bit thick in those areas, but that also makes it stiffer. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I think you do get with polyester resins over epoxies, I think polyesters get quite hot. Um, I'm well, sure epoxies, epoxies, can, epoxies too, can get hot too. You know, the, it happens the, a slower the thicker the the laminating resin is, the hotter it will get. I mean, I've, I've had some excess left over when I'm done brushing on onto the mold surface in a little paper cup, and if it's you know half inch of the stuff, 
Yeah. It'll start smoking when yeah. it gets hot, and it's, well, and it's and it's toxic. Yeah. So well, you got we, that. That you got to make sure you've got room for those those fumes, fumes to get out. Cause yeah. You'll you'll be visiting your doctor pretty soon if you if you don't. Yeah. Nasty. Yeah. I mean, you've got the um, it's standard practice with polyester anyway you you typically have like a slops bucket that's half filled with water yeah so you use your resin and then when you've finished your job whatever you've got left over you scoop out and put that in the water and it will go off on the water but if you don't it'll just melt the bowl because it'll just get that hot right. it can melt through the bowl and like you say it can even ignite and you can smell it and the, the cool guy who's got a hot gauge on the go because you can smell it in the workshop mm-hmm. this is like someone usually like yeah. a you know so trainee and their first day or whatever they've mixed up and they just didn't think to put rid of it or I think the epoxies are a little bit more expensive than polyester yes um, and they're slower as well they take longer slower, to yeah the freeform cure. air has a 24 hour cure I mean you can accelerate it with, with heat mm-hmm. But if you're doing your, your mold in pieces, like the, the ears that we're doing now, we've got the one-piece positive core, but we're doing the negative in two pieces. So mm-hmm. we're ultimately having a three-piece mold. And if we wanted to accelerate the freeform air with heat, we'd run the risk of melting the monster clay underneath. Yeah, the sculpt itself would get damaged. And, yeah. you know, it would probably be okay on the on the side that's already got, got some resin on it because we've we've made that part of the mold mm. but the other side of the ear would just disappear yeah and then you'd Nasty be business. back to square one yeah yeah i mean if you were making a one-piece mold i guess it kind of wouldn't matter as much because it's already the tank yeah, but this is the thing the gel, coat, molds, the gel coat's already set and you've got you've got your shape yeah you've got a responsibility in. to the other half of the mold or the other halves or other pieces mm-hmm. um and as a mold maker really nice guy called brian best who oh, yeah. was very yeah. very very good uh, fiberglassing and uh, he had some very very good te- one of the things he did which I think was really good he would make a, a record of every mix he ma- made so if he was doing a head he'd measure out what he figured was the right amount of resin and then how much catalyst he used the temperature um, how long it took to cure or gel all those kinds of things and then he'd keep it in a book and then when he had to do another full head he knew how much he had and he'd make a note of how much he had left over and so he ended up with this really good dense compendium of like amounts of catalyst to use because that's the other thing with um, polyester resin there's, there's variables of how much you can add right. so if it's a cold day you can add more catalyst or if you're going onto wet clay for example because wet clay is colder typically mm-hmm. um, and you want the resin to go off on it sometimes you have to either accelerate the resin or you can hair dryer it you know stick a hair dryer warm it up first before putting the catalyst in and that happens with um, epoxy too I, yeah. I've noticed colder clay it will take longer because take, take it's just colder same thing happens with silicone yes yeah, yeah, yeah so it's one of those things if you've done your edge you, know, you might have a sculpt in plastiline and then you you need to put a dividing wall in it but that dividing wall is in clay um, one little trick is I will put the, the the gel coat on the sculpt itself only and then I put a bit more catalyst in and then do the flange the clay oh. wall with the same mix but it's got a little bit more, more catalyst, catalyst in it okay. but I haven't done that over the whole sculpt because I don't want that to get too hot so that's quite a nice little thing. He, uh, he used to keep a list of all his uh, amounts. I think it's a really good thing to get into the habit of recording because what I do see a lot um, in some workshops, especially some of the bigger workshops, people will just mix up, you know, they need some resin. They'll mix up, frankly, a shit ton more than they need. And then because it's not coming out of their pocket, they'll just bin the rest. You know, they just pour it yeah. away when it's set up. And it's like, 
that's such a waste you know and and also you haven't really kept score of how much you've used and how much you've wasted because the thing is if you measure out 600 grams find out you only needed 400 because there's 200 left over well you know yeah. next time you're molding something of that size that you can use less resin and when yep. you're paying for your own materials that's when it starts becoming a you know a, a good thing to know because it's, it's, it's a tragedy to throw away all that resin that you didn't need to mix up <laughs> and it's hard to estimate yeah you know, oh, I've, I've, I have been there I, I must admit yeah I try to minimize those mistakes but I, I, you know, I do keep, try to keep track of, of what I do yeah what do you think about mold closure as well? I mean, over here there seems to be a lot of uh, strap action. A lot of people using straps to close molds. I have molds. straps, but I never use them. You use you prefer um, weights? I use I, I use it depends on depends on the mold. Yeah. Um, for some of my foam molds, I will use weights. Some of them I can clamp shut. Mm-hmm. Um, depends on if there's enough enough room on the flange for for clamping to work. If not, I'll I've got I've got um, weights from a sporting goods store that I'll just lay up on top and once the stuff gels or kicks in, depending on what the material is, mm-hmm. then I can lift the weights off and pop it in the oven or if it's done, open the mold. Yeah, because I remember, I mean, typically a lot of the smaller molds or the block molds, I I would always use, use like, you know, C clamp or a G clamp, mm-hmm. but I've started using a lot more F clamps. Have you seen those? They're, they're like similar to a G clamp. They're probably called something different here, but they're basically like the, it slides on a longer neck, almost oh. like a sash clamp. Yeah, but yeah. smaller. So yeah. you could have a mold, you know, and then you have a, a six or seven inches that you can tighten up with a, that has a screw thread, but you can slam it down quickly to close the mold and then tighten it to finish off. Yeah. But they typically have, and unfortunately, that is what it's called. It has a deeper throat. So I ask for deeper throat <laughs> clamps uh, because it means the center of the clamp is in the middle of a mold. So if you've got a mold that's 12 inches across, you need uh, the throat of the clamp to be at least six inches to get to the middle of the mold. Otherwise, right. it'll be levering only on one side, which means it'll only lift, you know, a push down on one side, which may lift it on the other. Yep, so you may end sense. up using more than one clamp, which is why I think maybe the straps are quite good. Well, we'll try to show some pictures of that too. I've, I've got some stuff in the newest edition of my book um, that uses straps because sometimes straps are a pain in the ass depending because they have to go underneath the mold yeah and which means you have to lift the mold and get the strap underneath it and it's it's tricky you know, it's tricky it just, especially to do it by yourself you know it yeah. sometimes yes. you need four hands instead yes. of just two yeah especially if you've got something like a time sensitive material like a it's a hot day and the foam is gelling or the silicon starting to go off yeah. And one thing I noticed on some molds I made is they were they were uh, epoxy, so they were smooth on the outside, and then trying to tighten up the strap, and the strap would just slide off. So I realised what I should have done is made some kind of indentation or some kind of retaining yeah. leg or something to hold the strap in place. Well, what I've got tight. in the book is is essentially that kind of thing that holds. It's, it leaves a channel under the mold for the strap to go through, right? So it will come around on the top. And, and strap down nicely, so it gives you something to force it down, so that you're not just haphazardly catching an edge here and an edge there. You you're getting yeah. the full use of the strap. Yeah, well, I think straps are probably good for bigger molds, especially because like a chin or a nose, which is you know maybe the neg- you know the core is maybe six or seven inches across. That's easily closed by a clamp. 
evenly, I think. But if you've got like an arm, for example, say you've got an arm from elbow to fingertips, you know, it's maybe two feet long. If you just put a clamp in the middle of that, there's a good chance a lot of that pressure isn't going to make it all the way to the fingertips or all the way to the elbow. So you'd want maybe three or four points of of Mm -hmm. pressure. And with thin fiberglass moulds, because they're thin and they're flexible, you had to kind of bolt them, you know, regular two inch or inch and a half intervals around the outside, which was laborious, but it did mean that you got very tight pressure, you know, evenly around the edge. Which gives you you almost very little seaming at all yes because you because even if the mold's slightly out you can in theory you know pop it back in the oven soften it with heat put the bolts in tighten them up and it'll kind of cool down and it's always able to be moved right. whereas a lot of epoxy molds i find what's good about them is they're very accurate because they're stable they don't flex but if they're slightly out and they don't flex it also means you can't kind of fix it right <laughs> so but but the good epoxies tend to be very accurate but they're slower as well mm-hmm. because you know like I said I could do probably a two or three piece fiberglass mould in a day quite easily using polyester um, whereas if I was doing it with epoxy you could probably add at least another two days on top of that absolutely to let it it's fully not, cure properly it's not you know something I mean? you need you'll, you want to do if you're in a hurry yeah which is a shame but it's I think that's often why I think that's probably why because things can be done with polyester it you know it's quick so it does i also think actually weirdly the the polyester resin gets used a lot from the the old school construction guys who used to you know make a lot of sets and yeah you know they'd make sections of things i think fiberglass got used a lot for molds or mold jackets for things and so i remember one of the first movies i worked well, the first movie i worked on was mary riley and the mold room was full of like union old school construction plasterer mold maker guys that were familiar with the material fiberglass and the polyester resin so they were the ones making the molds but what I found was a lot of them didn't come at it from a prosthetic point of view so if they were making very detailed things or things where you know the difference between a, a thickness of an edge that was a piece of paper which to your eyes super critical mm-hmm. um, wasn't of concern to them because they didn't think in those kind of more referred, yeah. refined ways so in a way it's almost like it feels like a lot of fiberglass molds have been used because there were a lot of people doing it so we got good at doing it and it was familiar but it wasn't necessarily the best thing to use whereas I think you know the epoxy stuff has, seems to have come out of I think Weta were one of the first people to use it yeah. I don't know if that's true I'm not sure I'll get corrected but um, I remember a lot of people that were working on Lord of the Rings stuff were saying they used syntactic dough for almost everything over there you know it was just like I don't know if that was true or not but it just seemed like a lot more people started to use mm-hmm. it from then on and I started using it on Game of Thrones I think was the first time I ever used it about four years ago for a mould and, and since then I've started using it a lot yeah I've um, been, I, I'm not sure how I've been using it for a while I don't remember exactly when I started using it yeah um, maybe ten years yeah but it's, it's one of those things where it's like if I was going to do what I would have done with a block mould I would happily do it with something like freeform air now yeah and make you know something that's maybe three quarters of an inch thick well, it's so freaking easy to use yeah and then just you know strap it closed yeah. i mean i used straps for my uh imats demo this year for the first time it's the first time i'd ever used straps for myself for my own molds i fucking loved it 
really, really well. I just realised you have to get a purchase on how to mm-hmm. tie it because it wasn't yeah. a ratchet strap. It was one that was like a luggage strap that you pull tight. Yeah. But you could really get some leverage on it. Once you figure out how those work, that's another reason I don't really like the straps is I don't can't figure out how the fuck they work. <laughs> Yeah, the ratchet ones are good. But then the danger with the ratchet ones is you can over-tighten them. Yeah. And then obviously if you do over-tighten it, with a flexibly kind of mold like thin fiberglass, you might buckle it or bend it so it'd be a thick edge in one place. Or, God forbid, crack it. Or crack it, yeah. You may go Because a lot of people do like to really tighten it and then, you know, boom, especially plaster, mm-hmm. you know, or something solid like a block, it's possible to actually break yeah, the mold. they're not really repairable. No, really. Not, not to a point where somebody's not going to notice it. Yeah. Well, you talk, you were talking about Brian Best. I learned collapsible cores from the stuff that he gave me for the first edition of my book on collapsible hand cores, mm-hmm. and now that's that's how I that's how I'm doing it. Though I'm now doing it in as as three D printed parts, but same principle. I'm just using the same principle, same essential shape, you know, with the keys on how how each piece fits together and, and stays there so that you've got a, a solid core mm-hmm. but it will come apart really easily saving your core and your prosthetic yeah so, and uh, although if it's not obvious what a collapsible core is it's literally the core that you would sculpt on and then you make your mold you know you can you can in theory with some things have a one piece mold or at least a mold where you don't have many seams. I mean, one of the one of the things I think is really good for collapsible of course, is hands, mm-hmm. because a hand is wider than a wrist, an open hand, because typically you're making a set of gloves or something for someone, the, the fingers have to be wide apart. And yeah, and you want to do it with the hand, with the fingers spread as far apart as possible. Yes, you can get in so between the So you can get in them. between the fingers to get <laughs> the detail that, sculpt, that yeah. prosthetic and the detail. Yeah, which then means the hand is like 10 inches across, uh, but your wrist is like 3 inches wide. So how do you get that hand... That's solid through that hole without ripping the glove. Yeah. So you know you make a collapsible core. Yeah. So one of one of pieces. two things or or two things is going to happen. You're either going to trying to get the that glove off the hand core. You're either going to break the fingers, tear the glove, or both. Yeah. And doing a collapsible core mold. It's also great for doing necks, full 360 necks, where you can inject it from the inside and you do a collapsible core. Because you, you need to have the, the chin and, you know, the base of the head for the neck. But it has to be collapsible. Otherwise, you'd never be able to get the one-piece negative off the head. Because you want to inject from inside so you can have a seamless piece. Yeah. There's a seam on the inside. Yeah. There's nothing you'll see on the outside. Yeah. This I, I, We should probably do a... A tutorial on, on collapsible cores at some point. Yeah, this, the, the one yeah, of those the, things... That what you're hearing is Black Hawk helicopters from the Air Force Base near my house. They look very cool. <laughs> we get to see a lot of cool stuff flying around here. Because the Air Force Base is not what, just Not just hawks, away? it's, yeah, if that. We can hear the... I hear Reveille in the morning. I hear... Uh, Spangled, star-spangled banner and the flag lowering at five o'clock and it and at ten taps when, it's, light, right? when it's lights out. Oh, let's try and see if we can hear that. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to say I had a point to make and I can't think what it was. It'll come back to me. Well, like about the cores. Yeah. Oh, cores. yeah, yeah. My, I've got. I mean, my thing about cores is I, I like 
I like I think they're, they're they're essential for for a lot of things but one of the things is like I did um, a um, it was for a, a a chemotherapy makeup where this lady had lost her hair and I had to make you know a bald head for it so it had to look completely natural and you know realistic mm-hmm. so clean nice and clean and I thought about collapsible cores but I also thought about trying it as a front and a back piece that I could overlap so what I ended up doing was I sculpted it obviously as one piece floated it off but I made a front you know forehead to the top of head you know from the nose bridge to the top of the head yeah that's the core in the front and from the top of the head down to the nape of the neck on the back and then I flared out the cores so I made two flared out cores which meant I didn't have to make a collapsible core so the actual act of making collapsible cores can be quite time consuming and very. depending on how you do it because I've seen some people do them very successfully where they just bore up you know in sections and others you actually have to sort of carve things out or make walls and you know pour it up in sections um, so part of me feels like if you had a lot of pieces to run and it was a high you know high profile thing that really needed it it's totally worth doing it but sometimes I think you can avoid doing collapsible cores by rethinking about how you can make your piece and right. by having a front and a back piece what it meant was I got a really nice uh, tight fit because I could slide one over the other you know, I could pull the back of the head piece on and pull it forward and I had somewhere to put my edges because it was going to be covered by the back piece and because they were prosthetic blending edges they were great edges and I could you know I had, I had no trouble with it and it worked really really well do you still have those moulds? I still have those moulds yeah so they're worth it, it, sometimes you don't need and they were in fiberglass as well sometimes you don't need to make a collapsible core um, so it would be interesting to look at how you could avoid I avoided it for time issues mm-hmm. and because I wasn't confident enough to do it in the time I had I'm sure someone you know if you had a team of people it was just me so I didn't want to yeah, no, it's, I think time is one of the biggest things to consider because it takes a while. Yeah, yeah. But uh, collapsible cores are definitely worth looking at, and um, because they require you to anticipate what the finished piece is going to be. Because the thing is, if you could make something seamless by making a collapsible core, in theory, it either reduces or completely removes the seams on the outside of that piece. Which, mm-hmm. if you have to make 20 or 30 sets of something and it takes a day to seam it you've committed 20 or 30 days of seaming you've got to pay for that whereas if you could make a collapsible core in a week that may take you 5 or 6 days but that's 15 days less than all the seaming days right. yeah, do you know what I mean so if yeah. you're paying your mould makers the same as you're paying your seamers um, then it's a net game hard. isn't it it's a yeah. net game there. so it's worth thinking about why to do things a certain way and not because I can imagine a lot of people would be like well, if you don't need to do a collapsible core, why, did, why does anyone do it? So it all does depend on what it's for and whether you've got the time to do it and whether it's feasible, because some mm-hmm. things can be collapsible, like whole heads are great as collapsible, because that means you get your one piece out. Yeah. Um, and if you've got the time and want to learn how to do it, do it. Yeah. Because it, it is a valuable skill. There's not a lot of information out there, there is it? It's probably quite closely guarded. I don't know if, it's, yeah. if people are reluctant to let people know or if it's one of those things that is, you know, there's so much stuff you'd have to know in order to do it well. Would it interfere, do you know what I mean? Like, easily explaining, like, I'll get this. I'll get yeah. someone ask me a very complicated question through Messenger or send me an email. And the answers I'm going to give 
will probably lead to more questions so you end up sort of digging into a rabbit hole and in a way you kind of get the impression that just because someone's heard of a collapsible core they're probably not ready to make one yet you know what I mean because it's quite involved and you could screw it up and it'd be a very expensive thing but if you want to practice and do it they're also called puzzle molds and some of them are like puzzles they go together in a certain way and they have to come apart in a certain way or it won't work yeah Uh, and Rob Freitas is the master at doing these complicated puzzle molds and oh that's that's Donna calling (laughs) (laughs) that is an amazing message navigation (laughs) it's my favorite sound it's awesome um yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Sometimes I see, so I've seen, I have seen collapsible cores beautifully made, and I thought to myself, I don't know how long that core took to make, but I could probably have done you a two piece, and then you could have assembled those two pieces, you know, and then pre-painted them still or hair punched them still, but I could have made that much quicker. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not averse to them, but I'm, I tend to only do a collapsible core if I absolutely have to, which I'm sure is probably the case for. Any well, class of has been think, made. But. Think through what you're doing. Don't, don't. I think just because you can isn't the right answer mm. for the reason to do something. Do it because it's the right thing to do for the project you have to complete. Yeah. 